Welcome back to Fun Belt Podcast. We are back from New Orleans, where we experienced not one but two Sunbelt Media Days for the first time ever. The Sunbelt Media Days was two two days instead of one, thanks to conference expansion and thanks to, of course, to the excitement surrounding the conference. Joining me on the podcast today is Dusty Thibodeau from the Warhawk Report. Shane Milton usually joins us. Uh, he is out sick today, and I am Jeremy Harper from HowRazor.com. What is going on with Shane? I don't know. He just said he was uh, questionable for the night, so we had to uh, go to the bullpen, and then we realized there was no bullpen. So it's, it's Nobody was warming up in the bullpen. It's just us. Just like New Orleans, just the two of us. Just, just a couple old KG precision players being asked to take the mound and throw some heat. That's what we're going to do. I got it, though, Jeremy. Even though I am still trying to recover from those two days in New Orleans – I don't know about you, but but mm-hmm. I guess as, as the age catches up with you, you need more time to recover from going up and down Bourbon Street. Oh, absolutely. You know, when you were young, I remember the first time I went to New Orleans, it was when I was a, a, a kid in my 20s. I actually went to uh, uh, Mardi Gras and hung out. And it was like one of those things where like, like 20 guys went and we all shared one hotel room. And everybody was like sleeping on the floor and none of us had more than $20 on our person. And we managed to use all that little bit of money, a little bit of space to have the, one of the best times of our lives. Now, listen, if I don't have the suite, if I don't get my 10 hours of sleep, if I don't get plenty of water with my alcoholic beverage, if I don't eat my three squares, if I don't take my pills, I'm just not going to have a good time. So big difference between Jeremy Harper 2022 and jeremy harper maybe 1998 i won't even tell you about 1998 new orleans <laughs> for me there but i i'll tell you one thing that i definitely miss about new orleans jeremy we had beignets every day when we were there what more could you want than than a good powdery donut <laughs> you know i that would I, I i hate to make a complaint about Sunbelt Media Days, Tibbs, because it was done, it was so well done. You know, it was professionally done. Everything was was tight. Except know, for us in the back. Except for who? Except for us in the back. We weren't tight. We were unprofessional, but everybody else was professional. But the only thing I had wish they had had, like they were big on beignets in the morning and like, uh, like sort of dessert type breads. Man, when you're in New Orleans, you need some scrambled eggs. You need some bacon. You need some biscuit. You need something in your stomach to sort of help you out from what you did the night before. Do you know what I'm saying, Tibbs? Do I have to spell it out? You're implying that you were not at tip-top shape in the mornings I, for Fun Belt Podcast. I, you know, listen, you know, it's it's um like I think we mentioned earlier in the podcast, we're not young men anymore. Uh, and even a little bit of impropriety can create uh, maybe some stomach issues, maybe some head issues. And that's all I'm saying. I, I'm saying that like a proper greasy breakfast can really go a long way to helping them. That is my complaint, or that is my suggestion, not a complaint. That is my suggestion to Keith Gill for Sunbelt Media Days 2023. We know he listens to the show. I, I, I picture it being while he's on the treadmill at some point. So 
commission, there's your marching orders there from Jeremy Harper of howraiser.com as he applies for credentials for anything in the future, just reply back with a gift card for <laughs> or, or, or Waffle House. That would be great. Awesome. But Jeremy, Jeremy in, in all seriousness, what was your biggest takeaway that you had out of the Sunbelt Conference media days uh, from all the, the teams that we talked with, all of the speeches that we heard? What, yeah. what was your biggest takeaway? You know, I, I thought that the, the messaging between the Sunbelt East and the Sunbelt West, the, it was so much different from each other. The Sunbelt East you know, with the Appalachian states and the Marshalls and the coastal Carolinas and the Georgia states and all these guys are competing. It was all about, you know, we're amongst the best teams in the group of five, perhaps the best teams in the nation. We're going to compete. It's going to be tough. You're going to see us win some big games. It's going to be awesome. And the Sunbelt West, to me, the, the message was more about, well, you know, we're still building. We're still trying to find our footing. Last year was disappointing. This year we're going to build on some of the, the uh, gains that we made. So there's a lot more caution to me uh, hearing from the West than it was from the East, which seemed to be more about bravado, and the West was more about tempering expectations. When you look at it, there's nothing of note returning on the West side in the Sunbelt Conference. There's no quarterbacks that are returning of note. Yes, you have Lane Hatcher that made the shift over to Texas State, but is he going to be truly successful at Texas State? While we agree that he probably will be, you got to see it before you can actually say it. And, and I think that the question marks up and down the West make it that everyone knows that, that it, it's a wide-open race in the, in the West, whereas the East, you really have those established teams. You know that. Uh, App State's going to be good sitting atop the standings. You know that Grayson McCall back with Coastal Carolina is going to have the shots in contention. But then it's kind of a wide-open race really outside of those two teams. Well, I take that back. With the exception of Georgia State, I think Georgia State's probably the the the, the team flying under the radar the most on the eastern side. Uh, but, but you're still only talking about three teams on the east that have really kind of established themselves and, and are ready to really show that they are – uh, uh, back for another year of success. You know, even even Kurt Signetti, uh, uh, Signetti, the head coach for JMU, picked to finish sixth in the East. Even he was filled with a little bit of bravado and bluster. You know, he just came in just smoking hot. Uh, seemed to refuse to to even concede that his team could possibly finish so poorly in the Sunbelt East. And that's what I liked about the East. It, it was just, it was just had that sort of, of guns ablazing, uh, the, you know, sort of the, the mightiest fighters in one cage, who's going to come out on top. Now for the West, I thought Kane Womack made a very interesting uh, quote. The well, governor. <laughs> that's right. The man who would be governor someday. Uh, he, he sat down with us and he was talking a little bit about his team and he said something interesting to me. I'm paraphrasing it because I don't have it in front of me. But what he was saying was that there's a difference in a team that believes that you can win and a difference in a team that expects to win. And he said that last year they believed they could win. They had this idea that maybe they could win. He said anybody can kind of believe they can win. The time when you really turn the table as a team or turn the table, turn the, turn the corner as a team is when you expect to win. And that's what the guys, that's what the Sunbelt East is. They expect to win games. Now, Sunbelt West is more about expect, believing they can win games. They believe they can do it, 
but they don't necessarily expect to do so. And that's how I see the difference between the two uh, divisions in the Sun Belt. Do you feel that this is, is kind of setting up uh, in SEC terms where you have, you know, kind of the unthinkable that a Vandy is facing Alabama, uh, kind of flipping the script there where that would be the East with a weak team and the West with a strong team in the SEC. But do you feel that that, that the Western coaches kind of know that they're, they're at the mercy of the East, at least for this year? Absolutely. And I, I, I can't help but think that it kind of rankles them in the way. Uh, really the tension right now is all on the East. And what's funny is that I feel like the West has a lot of really good coaches and the opportunity to stand out in the West is really good because while everybody in the East is going to be kind of be pounding each other, somebody's going to stand out in the West. We keep saying that, that, um, that uh, it's up for anybody, but it, it, what's likely going to happen is one is really going to rise to the top. It's going to be unexpected. It's going to be a great story. Like, consider if it's Terry Bowden from ULM, the team goes on a really good tear where they end up winning the West. Wouldn't that be a great story for Terry Bowden? This older coach, this legend, comes into ULM, probably one of the most underfunded programs in all of football, brings it to a, a division title place against some sort of mighty SBS, SBC East team for the tournament, that would be a great story. So there's a lot of opportunity for the West, a lot of opportunity for these coaches to really make a name, just someone that has to seize that opportunity. Yeah, I, I agree with you. And looking even at our initial Sunbelt Five that we put out while at Sunbelt Conference Media Days, yeah. running through those five teams real quick, the Raging Cajuns, obviously you got to say hell to the champs until they're not the champs anymore. If you say so. I, I, I think that they have just as good a shot as anybody else in the West sure, okay. to actually make that repeat. Obviously, mm -hmm. the number two team is going to be App State. Absolutely. With the return of Cameron Peoples and uh, Chase Bryce, I think that they're probably the top team in the league and, and was really surprised to not see them voted that way by the coaches. Number three is Coastal. I think Coastal is really the wild card. You know what you have with McCall, but he even said on his appearance with us, that he's just now starting to really throw. So he didn't say how good he was throwing, how mm -hmm. well it was going, just that he was throwing. And then you you really got to step back and look and see. We know they have Pickney that, that transferred up from Georgia State at, uh, at the receiver, but the rest are really unproven. They could be the next highly likely receiver combo that we just haven't heard of or, or know anything about. They could be the next man who are these guys and why are they even out on the field type of situation as well. Now, I, I believe that, that Jimmy Chadwell knows what he's doing on the recruiting front and, and that he's going to have more than likely, no pun intended, the highly likely receivers that are uh, going to be the new names this upcoming year, but we just don't know. And yeah. then in addition to that, we slide down to the number four spot, Georgia State. They probably have the most of their offensive and defensive side returning this year. So I think the, the Panthers are the team that are going to be on the prowl looking for the noise in the, the, the Sunbelt Conference East. The only other team than the Cajuns that we had in our initial Sunbelt Five, the Troy Trojans. Yeah. And I think that a lot of that is going to be uh, John Summerall and what he has to, to kind of rally the troops there of the Trojans and get them back to where they are the perennial team atop the Sunbelt Conference West. You know, and Summerall and his, his group that was with them, including uh, Carton Marshall, Col Col 
the Carlton, yeah, Carlton Marshall, they, uh, they're, they're very talented defensive player. They were very impressive at Sunbelt Media Days. But I tell you, when you posted that list, Tibbs, on Twitter, a social media platform for which we're active, uh, I tell you, one group of people that seemed to be quite aggravated with that list, Tibbs, and that was the Thundering Herd. There seemed to be a lot of guys from the herd that said, hey, what about us? Yeah, and, and I think the reason that the, the, the herd were not – higher on there is we know that they have a great running back there in Rashid Ali. No question about that. They, they're going to have the offensive line that's going to make the run lanes for them. I think not knowing what they have at the receiver as well as at the quarterback position makes them a question mark where they're just on the outside looking in. If we ranked all of the teams of the Sunbelt Conference, I think that they would be in the upper half of the league, but I just don't think that they have quite made it to the Funbelt five yet. Yeah, I, I think I agree with that. I I look at Marshall and I see a team with so much history and, and so much so many years of excellence that's kind of hard to count them out. And, I, and I've seen them play against Appalachian Appalachian State. I've seen them play against the Cajuns. Those guys just really know how to play football. I love uh, Ali as a running back. But you're right; they do have some some question marks. And you're right; they're going to have to prove it until uh, prove that they have those positions covered until before we can go ahead and, and confirm that they are indeed part of are uh, indeed a member of the uh what was it what do we call it the uh fun belt five the fun belt five absolutely so with all of the the good that's going on in the sunbelt conference there's obviously some some seats that are pretty hot this upcoming season whoa I think most notably, one of the hottest seats out there is at Texas State with, with head coach Jake Spavadol. Do you think that the pressure gets to him or he gets the pressure this upcoming season? Mm, I can't see how he could not feel the pressure. You know, it, it's just that, especially, you know, we had talked about earlier how um, uh, all these Eastern coaches – they're going to come in with a lot of uh, fanfare and a lot of focus going to be on them. And then here in the West, there's just a lot of opportunity for one guy to really stand out. That could be Jake Spavadol. And, and the thing with, with Texas State, it's not like they haven't made some sort of eye-raising moves that would catch people's attention. Grabbing Lane Hatcher and then later uh, uh, Perry from Arkansas State was a really sort of gangster move you know it was a real bold move and then going in all in on this transfer portal uh philosophy has certainly uh caused a buzz too and it really just has to start paying dividends and if Texas State can't close escrow on that I I, I can't believe that Jake Spavadol would at least not on himself put a lot of pressure now whether or not people in San Marcos is, are putting pressure on him, I don't know Quite frankly, I haven't heard a negative buzz. You're a little closer to that area. Maybe you've heard some grumbling, but I haven't really heard it. Yeah, I mean, it, it, it's definitely time to to get the Bobcats into a bowl game, something, ironically, they've yet to do. Even yeah, that is always surprising whenever I hear that. I'm like, damn, they still haven't gotten in yet. I mean, in, in even the year they were, I think, 7-5, and 7-4 and four in, in their initial year of the whack, still no bowl game. They got screwed. First year in the Sun Belt, six and six, got screwed out of a ball game. So, I mean, the expectation is definitely to get there, but I mean, the the, the history is that they're just kind of snake bit when it comes to it. But I, I still think 
that with him having a mature team because he hit the portal so hard, having a mature quarterback, having a mature running back, the the pressure's on that he's got to get to six wins this year. And and I mean it, it's pretty doable. I think the Nevada game that they open up with at Nevada is going to be a, a pretty tough challenge. I think that they can get the FIU game in week two. Baylor is always a toss-up of, of what Baylor are you getting because we saw last year even where they hung with, with the Bears mm-hmm. and came up just short. I, I, after that, they, they had Houston Baptist, a team that they should be able to just absolutely massacre. James Madison, I think, is a little bit of a question mark and maybe a little bit of a challenge for Texas State considering it is up in Harrisonburg, Virginia, but a game that should be pretty winnable for Texas State. They get App State at home, and I'm telling you, I, I think the fact that the Mountaineers have to travel somewhat makes that game a little bit even, even though I think App State can get that, that win pretty big. That's like a 20,000-mile trip. <laughs> that is an incredibly long road trip for an Appalachian State. Well, they're not busing, Jeremy, or, or taking an Uber. <laughs> That's long, man. Hey, hey, you know what I think would make a, a great – Coffee table book? Um, no, and I'm scared to ask. A photo, a photo book of NCAA football players crammed inside airplane fuselages. Every time you see that picture, they'll show like, "Hey, team's on our way to uh, City X." It always cracks me up because they're huge. They're wearing suits. They're way too big for their seats. It cracks me up. So Is just it- imagine those guys. Going all the way from Boone to San Marcos, it's just it's just a tough trip. I don't is, care if it's in an airplane; it's a tough. Is trip. it funnier to see all of the players crammed in, or the traveling party and the media that are crammed in in the way back? Sometimes even in a jump seat. Uh, see, those guys don't get a photo though. You never see those guys. No, not at all. <laughs> I, I was always glad when I did travel that I would be in between two cheerleaders and not for that reason, Jeremy, but because they were small, petite people. And, <laughs> and, and I am, as, as the kids say, a big one. You know, but, you, uh, you're, you're more of a large scale kind of guy. Yeah. So, so I, I was definitely appreciative when the cheerleaders traveled and, and, and I got to sit next to them because it was almost like having an empty seat next to me. That's but we right. digressed from looking at yeah. the Bobcats and, and yeah, we lost their, we lost focus there. It's my fault. I'm sorry. Their their road to victory. You know uh, the Bobcats, as as we said, they do get to host the Mountaineers, and, and I think that does give them a little bit of an advantage to kind of even that out. Troy, to me, is is still a question mark. I, I do like Troy in in the West, but I I think that anytime you have to travel to Troy, it's always going to be a tough game. Mm-hmm. Bobcats get that trip this year, and then I think that their homecoming game against. Southern Miss is an, a, I wouldn't say an easy win, but it is a win that they should be able to pick up pretty, pretty easily. Sorry, okay. Southern Miss fans. Yeah. Although, if you talk to Southern Miss guys, they seem pretty cocky about this year. But go on, go on. I'm still uh, somewhat jealous of their derogatory term of the mustard buzzard. I like the term. <laughs> I think it sounds funny. It's not quite as good as Boobcat, but it, it, it is still up there. You know what? I This is the first time I'm hearing this. The Mustard Buzzard? Mustard awesome. Buzzard. I told you, it's great. I, I I like it. I don't like that it's derogatory because I would love to use it. 
Then again, we do use Boobcat. <laughs> you most of all, you love Bo- Boobcat. Uh, I can either confirm nor deny that, Jeremy. Ah, <laughs> uh, yeah. All right. So moving on a little bit from Texas Bobcats, whom I love. There was something that that uh, that Commissioner Keith Gill said that really kind of I keep I can't stop thinking about it. And maybe but, you can help me stop thinking about it. That he's not going to let us have our fireball sponsorship for twenty one years. Of well, I'm for- actually I'm actually pretty okay with that. I'm not wild about fireball. No, 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 no. It's it's more something he said on the podium. He was asked about expansion. You know, he said when. When uh, the Sun Belt was 12 teams, he thought 12 teams was perfect. He said when the Sun Belt was 14 teams, he said, well, that's perfect. I wouldn't want to be any more, any less than 14. And that was the question was, well, are we going to go up to 16? And he said, yeah, well, maybe if we go up to 16, it'll be perfect. And they said even 15 would be perfect. It was really strange to me that he even brought up 15. It made it sound like to me that maybe there's just one program out there that it still is kind of knocking on the door. And my question to you, Tibbs, is if there's only one program that is still sort of scratching like a cat at the front door hoping to get in, who do you think that program would be, that 15th well, program? The, the program hoping to get in is definitely going to be Louisiana Tech. <laughs> yeah. I think the team that would make the most sense – and, and – and, in this discussion, I had a discussion uh, with an athletic director while at Sunbelt Media Days, and, and he even said specifically, he goes, "Yeah, we need Louisiana Tech because they fit the mold. They're a good, they're a good athletic program. They're a good academic school. Absolutely. You just got to decide whether or not the baggage is, is is worth it to have them uh, come to the Fun Belt." Before you go on and, and, and move on to other programs that could fit this mold, could you, Dusty Thibodeau, put aside all your negative feelings and welcome Louisiana Tech? It would be tough, but I mean, I, I agree with the, the sentiment that they do fit the mold. They do fit every bit of the Sun Belt. I think that the one thing we should have, though, is is maybe the – public uh, shaming of Tommy McClellan, their former athletic director in his, his video. Yeah. But I, I think that overall, I, I think that they would be a good fit across the board. I think that they would make basketball better in the fun belt, which is something that we're really wanting to see. They obviously do pretty well in baseball, having hosted a regional last year. Mm-hmm. I don't think they're as good in softball. So they don't really bring that to the table. I think they've had struggles as of late in football, but it still gives us a another edge in the hardwood that we that we need. Uh, I am inclined to agree with you, and I do want to talk about other programs that you think might be in that list. But I do think that Louisiana Tech would be a good addition to the Sun Belt. It would really give us a good grip on the state of Louisiana, and it provides a level of hatred that would be good for a lot of teams. And quite Are you frankly, on the, the Ricky Ronnie bandwagon of hate is good? 
Hate is really good. And you know what? Even Chris, our, our good friend and sometimes con contributor to the show, I, he's a guest, but I think of him more as a contributor. Chris Vanini came out with an article talking about how Sunbelt has embraced rivalry because the college football fans wanted. And I can't think of a bigger heel to add to the Sunbelt plate than Louisiana Tech. Let, let me play the, the devil's advocate to you on this. Is it really a good ad when your entire conference would hate them? Uh, yeah, I do. Here's why. People at first will, there will be, first, there'll be a group of, uh, a small but vocal group of people who will grouse that. How dare they belong there? Or how dare you include them? Think about, you know, some of our other members uh, uh, like ULM and Louisiana who've always hated them. Think about the, the things that Louisiana Tech has said. That's all well and good. That goes away. And eventually the only thing left behind is rivalry. And rivalry is what gets the fans going. And that's why this new uh, uh, Big Ten with this goofy edition of UCLA and USC, that's why it's never going to work. That's why it's never going to create uh, stoke the nostalgia that the league had once had. It's not going to be there anymore. The Sun Belt is going all in on that, and bringing in Louisiana Tech would help that. The other program, when I was talking with this athletic director, that he said, and it's one that I've always wanted in the Sun Belt Conference from its inception on, and okay. they were members for a while. Yeah. Alabama, Birmingham, the good old UAB. You know, all right, before we go on on that, too, I, I think you and I are both going to agree. When the prospect of carving up CUSA came about. UAB was one of those programs I wanted it. Uh, they're, they're up and coming. They're infused with a pretty rabid fan base. They're getting new facilities. Absolutely, I would love to see them come in. But I think that you have to have balance. Mm. While you could get away with having a 15th team on a short term, you have to go to 16 to keep the balance. Okay. So if that's the case, I think the those two programs, UAB and Louisiana Tech, would be obviously in the West. On the East side, the Niners of Charlotte. Yeah, you know, all right. You know what Charlotte would be to me? It would be like getting another Old Dominion. And by that, I mean another program I have no real knowledge about. Just know that their, their, their locker room, whether at home or away, is turned into a club, and it is called Club Lit. <laughs> How could you not want Club Lit in the Sun Belt? I, you know what? I, I, I can't give you any reason not to. But let me tell you, I'll, here's one program that I think would excite a lot of people in the West. And I'm, I'm going to stick with, I'm not going to break the, the, break the rules here, Tibbs. I'm going with the one program. I'm not trying to do any balance here. If we had a break... The, the 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 or create an imbalance i think memphis would be the one school that i like to see come in it would provide arkansas state with a true rival which i personally always wanted and <laughs> and memphis would hate it so much that just their 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 the the fan base's cries and chagrin would be worth it to have them on the schedule it would be terrific for them but what, what does Memphis, in all honesty, what do they bring to the table? I, I 
I don't know much about Memphis other than I know the story program of basketball, but you know, they're very, uh, uh, what do you want to call it? NCAA questionably, <laughs> however else you want to go down that road and say, they have a great head coach there of, of, of Penny Hardaway. Yeah. Modern. Not sure what Memphis brings to the table of baseball, softball, or the other sports as well. Softball and baseball, they bring absolutely a zero. <laughs> their their uh, baseball program has long been uh, abysmal. Uh, football, uh, they bring in a team that routinely beats Ole Miss. So it, it's not like uh, in football wise that you would you wouldn't gain something value, valuable that and they 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 bring at least uh, 30 to 40,000 fans every time uh, they play. So that would be great too. basketball. Uh, I know that <laughs> that morally they've had some problems with retaining some of their wins because they are constantly under the NCAA gun. But I really do think that uh, that Memphis would do nothing but increase the basketball profile uh, for the Sun Belt, which desperately needs to have that kind of lift. So, hey, first of all, this is what's irritating, Tibbs, is that you're making me defend Memphis, and I don't want to do that. So I, I am just doing my due diligence before I, I meet with Keith Gill personally to okay. oh oh I forgot that you had you had a personal audience with Keith Gill. Yes, I would like you to bring those those action items up for the table. That would be great. So if, if we think outside the box, all right, team number 15, what would be your feelings dipping into the HBCU ranks and bringing up Jackson State? Uh, I, I, you know, all right. This is where I get the most snobby, Tibbs, is when we start talking about adding more FBS programs to the mix. I feel like the FBS already has an overabundance of programs. And some of those programs are having trouble maintaining the standards of FBS. I don't see any reason why class or uh or programs like uh like jackson or any of the uh, of these smaller schools who have great success uh in the fcs should want to come up to the fbs why not be successful in the fbs win your titles uh have your fan base and not have to go into the uh fbs and try to prove something else it's not really worth it i i am just fine Staying away from that pot. Forty-four thousand two fifteen <laughs> is what the great Veterans Memorial Stadium can hold there in Jackson, Mississippi. Uh huh. Yeah. We know that they have the primetime TV spots. Uh huh. Yeah. They have the primetime coaching spots. Yeah. Well, yeah. They for now. Yeah. Eleven and two last year with uh-huh. one loss to ULM. Yeah. Uh huh. And you're saying none of that excites you enough to bring the Tigers into the fun belt? Absolutely not. I, I, I wish I could. You know what? If we had to bring in another FCS program, that would certainly be on top of the list. But like I said, I get a little snotty when it comes to that. I have to be. There has to be a standard. We have to draw a line here. How many FCS programs are we going to elevate? Why are we the only league that has to do this? 
29 and 27 in baseball. <laughs> uh, yeah, I'm not going to let your statistics and your facts ruin my great argument, okay? Just throw it out there. All right. a, little hey. bit, a little bit of swack never hurt the fun belt. Oh, my God. Right. Write that down, Jeremy. I did. It's our new slogan. So, Jeremy, regardless of who the potential 15 team could be, <laughs> we got to talk to one of the current members yes. of the Fun Belt Conference at, while at Sun Belt Conference Media Days, and that is your Red Wolves, led by Butch Jones. Absolutely, Butch Jones. Yes, he was there looking sharp. The werewolf with, of Jonesboro. With James Blackman yeah. and Yvonne Bennett. Yes, James Blackman was there. Not Justin Blackman, who I called him Justin. Here's the thing. I've been calling James Blackman ever since he transferred in from Florida State last season. I've been, you know, writing stories about the Red Wolves. And every now and then someone has to say, hey, you know, you got his name listed as Justin. I go, ah. I do not know why I do this, but I keep calling him Justin. I apologize to James Blackman. You know what he said when I said to him, and when I introduced him as Justin Blackman, you know what he said? My name's James. Sir. He said, my name's James, sir. And that even made me feel worse. It's like he's trying to pay me respect, even though I had totally disrespected him. I just, love that, you're telling him I just love that you're telling on yourself because I had edited all that out. <laughs> I am confessing. This is my confession to the world. I made this egregious error, and for the rest of the season, I will be atoning for it. I am so sorry, James Blackman. I will not make this mistake again, I promise. Jeremy, we're, we're now in your neck of the woods. Yeah. As we have the head Red Wolf. Where? Where? Sitting across from you. Oh, You've got to start drinking up. the coffee to it's get up early. and see him in the morning. This is the first interview of the morning. We're, we're in New Orleans. It's, it's I know. We're a long night. They had to peel me off of Bourbon Street last night. That's the smell. <laughs> That's the smell. Welcome in there, Coach. Tell us, year one, obviously, you can't really look at the record. It, it, it was, it was a, a, not the best season, but you did get a conference win. You did get a non-conference win. How did you kind of take, or what do you take out of 2021? Boy, you take a lot, and you better. Um, you know, and it was a learning experience, I think, for, obviously, first and foremost, myself, but I think the entire coaching staff, and not really knowing exactly where we're at as a football program, as a football team, where our deficiencies of a program were, what we needed to do to grow and elevate the program, and, and I think also learn more about the Sun Belt. Obviously, knew a lot about the Sun Belt, but from the competitive balance standpoint, the mental toughness that it goes into playing week in and week out. But I think, you know, last year was productive in terms of I know exactly where we're at as a program what we need to build, what we need to do, how we can do it. Where, you know, you look at, as a first-year coach, you come into a program, you have 15 practices, then the summer comes, and then you have what you have, and then you show up to training camp. And then you find out really about your ability to handle adversity, your toughness that's involved, all that that goes into. So, uh, you know, you can't waste what we went through uh, because it was a lot, but, you know, I think we'll be much better for it you know, when we look back at this journey in Arkansas State. So you were talking about some things that you learned uh, during the season and perhaps even during the off-season. Uh, two things that uh, 
which I found interesting is that you made some position changes. Uh, Wyatt Beagle moves from cornerback uh, to wide receiver, and then Kevon Bennett moves from defensive end to linebacker. What predicate? What 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 predicated those those decisions? Well, I think you're always trying to put your best football players on the field, try to give them an opportunity to be successful, but also the team. And when you look at Wyatt Beagle, he's an individual who's extremely competitive. Um, we thought we needed to add some, some competitive mindset, so to speak, in our receiver room, bring some more individuals in. He knew the offense. And we were in practice in spring football, and uh, we had some injuries at the receiver position. And Wyatt comes to me and goes, Coach, I'd love to play receiver. I'll go in and play. And he proceeded to tear up the practice and we're like okay we have something here because his instincts of you know of, of finding the windows in the zone and all those things that go along with it so you know we we felt we needed to add some more individuals in the receiver room uh he's an individual who has extreme competitive character great person and then when you look at Caban, you know it's trying to to put him in a situation to further his career we needed help at the middle linebacker position, but now it gives us the flexibility to kind of move him around. We know what he can do from, you know, from the interior and front position from playing defensive end. Now we put him at the second level, but we're able to do some different things schematically also to keep him at that spot as well. Well, you know, when it comes to Beagle, we do know he runs fast. <laughs> he was, he, we saw him, I believe, on the field. Maybe against Appalachian State, did very well. So we're pretty excited. About it. Coach, when we look at the, the, the Sun West, it's probably the most wide open race there is, probably all of college football. How do you see this West kind of shaking out? Because really, you and all teams good wind up winning the, the Sun West. No question. When you look at competitive balance, uh, the entire Sun Belt Conference is really remarkable. I think when you really look at conferences overall you're judged by the competitive balance. And I think that's what makes the Sun Belt one of the most competitive conferences in the country. I'm talking Power Five, Group of Five. But it's wide open, and you look at from coaching changes, I think the transfer portal really changes those dynamics as well. But I think if you really look at kind of the structure of the Sun Belt and what's going on, it's usually the program that has the lines of scrimmage the offensive and defensive lines, the veteran players, and the individuals that come together, you know, that gives you the opportunity. And, uh, you know, for us, I think we've taken tremendous strides up front in the offensive line. I think a lot of our success uh, this year is going to be based on how we do in the defensive front. You know, we lose some players. We got some players uh, coming into our program. So I think our defensive line is going to be a great indicator uh, of this season. But, uh, you know, again, I like where we're at. I like our character as a football program. We've taken tremendous strides in moving forward. And I think we just got to work. I don't want to sound like coach speak, but really we just got to work every day to be better. And somebody asked me, you know, what's your goals, what's your expectations for this season? And quite simply, we want to be the best team we can possibly be. We want to be a team that reaches our full potential. If we just do that, and we concern ourselves with that of just getting better, we're going to be perfectly fine. Well, then speaking of full potential, uh, Arkansas State was picked to finish six in the Sun Belt uh, in the Sun Belt West. The expectations aren't very high. What do you think about that ranking? And do you feel like that's something that uh, is uh, that you can improve upon for this year? Well, I think a lot of times the rankings are based on what you did last year. 
And so this is an entirely different football team, entirely different football program from a culture standpoint. Are we there yet? No, we still have work to do, as you always do. But, uh, you know, we can't concern ourselves with that. Really, the only rankings that matter is at the end of the season. And, again, it's just, you know, let's work to be the best football team every single day. And if we do that, we have enough talented players and we have enough competitive character that we'll be just fine. Uh, James, if you want to answer this question, it's fine, but it's also for Coach. Uh, with James Blackman having a season under his belt, uh, learning the system, learning the new town, learning, uh, uh, learning his name, his name's James, not just. Um, what do you, how do you expect this season to be different? I feel like the season already has started off in a good way. Uh, I feel like we're already different, the way we work, our intensity, our focus and attention to details. I think we're in a very good spot right now, um, especially with our team. Our team camaraderie is way better. We hang out a lot more. You can come in on the weekend and see at least 10 to 15 guys working, putting in extra work. Um, I just feel like we got a different sense of urgency this time. Um, even though all the work that we put in don't guarantee us success, we know that it gives us an opportunity, and we're just going to keep making the days count and not count the days. You were hurt a lot last year, which was kind of a bummer because we really needed some stability at quarterback. Will, how do you feel? I feel great. It just <laughs> comes with understanding and taking care of your body. Uh, last year, I came in with a short amount of time trying to win over the team, trying to get guys to believe in me, have the coaches believe in me. So a lot of the things I did or my extra that I put in my routines, I got away from it because I was trying to learn the new system and, and hone into the details of learning it and being a new environment. So I feel like this time I can really put my emphasis on how I work, put in the extra time, going to take care of my body in the training room, and just keep myself durable and available. So you have a lot of really awesome there, uh, receiver. Is that a concern you feel you kind of get them up throughout the summer work? Uh, to be honest, We've been putting in a lot of work. I'm talking about a lot of downtime. We, we're not sitting down, we're putting in work. We're in the film room. I got guys coming over to my house. We get on the big board, having them draw plays. I think it's just a different feeling now. I feel like they're not inexperienced. I just feel like they, they needed to know the details of the playbook and me understanding it myself, give me the opportunity to help them when somebody's in need. You know, one thing I saw last year, again with the Appalachian State game, uh, Lane Hatcher was struggling, you were injured. Uh, what really impressed me was he had just thrown an interception. He was dejected, walked on the sideline. You're the first one there to give him support. You're the first one there to give him some encouragement. What does it take to be that kind of leader, that kind of, especially when you're hurt and you, you don't, you can't do anything on the field? What does it take to be that kind of leader? Um, it takes a lot. I had to learn that through some of the programs that Coach Jones put us through. Uh, we went through a program this year, uh, this spring. And it helped me remember, like, when you're down, you still got to find ways to help your team. Even if you can't do it physically, you got to bring some type of energy to the party. You got to keep somebody uplifted. And at that time, I feel like Lane, he's a, he's a pretty good player, but he's low on his confidence at some time. So I feel like if I give him that extra push on his confidence, we'll, we'll be in a, a good shape. Let me uh, say this, too, about James Black when we talked about, uh, you know, his body and all that that goes into it. So... He was able, just in the course of this summer, add 12 pounds of muscle to his frame. And that doesn't happen by chance, that doesn't happen by not working. So to be able to, 
you know, see his work ethic again. That's all the culture stuff that we're talking about because we're going to need, you know, all of our older players because 70% of our roster is comprised of first and second year players. So the leadership for this football team is going to be paramount. Speaking of the new guys that are coming in, is there a guy we need to be looking for that's really going to be dynamite on the field? Well, I think, you know, you talked about the receiver position. We added Champ Flemings. Uh, who comes uh, here from Oregon State and uh, don't get caught up in his stature. He is extremely dynamic, very explosive with the ball in his hands, uh, has really asserted himself as one of our playmakers already. Uh, Brian Snead, transfer running back via Ohio State and Austin P. Uh, that's another individual. I, you know, one of the individuals who's had a tremendous, tremendous offseason uh, is our other running back, Johnny Lang. Uh, he is really put the muscle, his body's completely different than when he showed up from Iowa State. So we've had a lot of individuals really show up and work and step up. And, uh, you know, the other thing we tried to do with the transfer portal, we've added 14 portal additions, is we wanted individuals with leadership to help Kavan. And uh, Eddie Smith, who comes to us from Alabama and Illinois, he's really helped change the dynamics of the locker room. And he's an individual, when James talks about the 10 to 15, 20 guys in the indoor working out on Saturdays, he's been one of those individuals who's kind of spearheaded that. Jordan Carmouche, a linebacker transfer from Houston. He's another individual who's really helped in that process. Uh, joining uh, coach is uh, Kevon Bennett, uh, defensive and now linebacker. You were one of the most dynamic guys on the field last year, not just on the defensive end, but on both sides, I thought. Uh, what's it like changing positions? Um, it's really no different for me. I just think I just get a better chance to show my athleticism. Uh, just be able to make more plays for the defense. I just think this move to linebacker is going to help me at the next level and, and help me make more money in the long term. So that's really the end goal. But sometimes I find myself a little frustrated playing DM because, you know, if you slide the protection, I was catching the most double and triple teams probably in the whole country. You know what I'm saying? Like, um, But if you put me at linebacker, it gives me a little more chance to move around and I think make more plays. and not let the offensive coordinator phase me out the game as much. So I think it just gives me a little more opportunities to make more plays. So, Kevon, obviously, you play for the legendary coach Jones, but you probably have the best linebacker coach that you could ever have in your day. Right. What was his advice when he found out that you were going to be moving back to the linebacker position? Um, so my, my dad really takes a, a big hands-off approach, but if, if I need some advice and I ask him, he'll tell me, but he's never been one of those guys that, that wants to overbear what my coaches, what my actual coaches are telling me to do. And, and, and coach will tell you that my dad is, is one of the most laid back and humble people that you'll ever meet. So he just kind of lays back and lets them do their thing. But, you know, when, when I go home back to Florida, he definitely went to the field and he then gave me some some pointers and, you know, just little things here and there. But for the most part, he lets the coaches coach. You know, he doesn't he doesn't try and involve himself too much. He really, unless I'm playing, he really doesn't even watch football no more. He watches golf all the time. So. Man after my own heart. <laughs> 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 so, Kevon, what are the th what are the position or the position groups that really, or I guess position groups that really improved over the year was defense. You know, it started off uh, 
a lot of challenges, a lot of big plays given up, a lot of missed tackles. But as the season went on, the defensive unit got stronger. And this is a question to both of you guys. Why? How, how did... What happened? What was the, what was the, the bell that rang in your heads? I think we just realized that we just had to step up and, and stop playing scared. You know, a lot of times... No team was really just better than us last year, but we had come into the game mentally unprepared for whatever reason it may be, and we're not ready to play. When, that, when the ball's kicked off, so then it takes us to get down 14 to 1 0, and we're like, oh man, we gotta kick it, you know, turn turn into the next year. And then it's kind of too late at that point, and we're trying to fight the battle of a steep hill. But I think we just kind of realized that if we just come out firing, all day instead of trying to wait until we're down to do it, then it, it, it makes a huge difference. But I think that was really the, the, the biggest difference for us was just realizing that we had to make the change. There's only so much that the coaches can do. Like, as the players, like, we have to control ourselves and make sure that we're ready to play mentally and physically. And I think the accumulation of reps, repetitions throughout the course of spring football in the training camp and then becoming more comfortable and then them understanding not only their job responsibilities because on every on every play there's a job description but understanding where their help is and they started to understand more of the defense and i think Kavan's exactly right too is just going out and playing with confidence you know a lot of times when we talked about this as a team we would come out the gates and for some reason we would sit back and we wouldn't be the aggressor and we'd be down 14, 21 nothing. and then we'd figure out, oh my gosh, we can play with these guys. And so I think the other thing for this football team this year is we got to learn how to start fast. And so, you know, we've kind of changed some things up from a, from a practice format standpoint. We're kind of back to the way we used to practice at Tennessee in terms of our whole practice is going to be sudden change. They're not going to know what's coming next, and they just have to adapt and adjust to it. There'll be some days where we're going to start practice off with live team events. Sometimes we're going to put the ball on the three-yard line and go through two-point plays, just keeping everyone, you know, adaptable in terms of where we go because if you really think about it football is a game of sudden changes it's not a routine game so we have to do a good job at, with myself and the coaching staff of really keeping our players engaged and letting them embrace sudden change with what we're doing i don't envy you guys when practice opens up on uh, next week it looks like it's going to be a pretty uh, pretty intense thing coach i know you have some interviews coming up do you have any more questions for coach jones i'm all good Hey, guys, thanks well, for really appreciate your time, and thank you for all that you do for Arkansas State. And please do me one favor. Stay off of Bourbon Street. Oh, no. I learned my lesson, Coach. So there we heard from the Red Wolves, picked sixth in the Sunbelt Western Division with 37 points in the preseason poll by the coaches. Yeah. Jeremy, do you, do you feel that that poll is pretty, pretty fitting of where the Red Wolves should fin finish the Here's season? Here's the thing. I personally, the Howraiser picked them to finish third, but they can easily finish last. Here's the thing about the West. Anybody can win it. Anybody can do well. Red Wolves could very well be uh, do well. They could really well, very well fall on their faces. We really just don't know. However, I do like what Butch is putting together in Jonesboro. He's been very focused on elevating the talent level. And if you look to see the, uh, he, he brought in the best re recruiting class in two, 20, 2022. And if you look at the recruiting class for 2023, he's well on his way to repeating that. 
So I really think that there's a good long-term plan involved. I don't know if it comes to fruition this season. It could, but I think he's more thinking about, you know, maybe next season than the season after that. Sundown Media Days is my first time to ever interact with Butch Jones. Really like the guy. I, I would love to have uh, more one-on-one time with him to discuss life and football and everything in between because I, I get the feeling it would be a, uh, a pretty good discussion there. You know what was funny is that on on our favorite platform, Twitter, uh, I started a discussion about what do you think Butch Jones does as a hobby? Because he feels like he's very football-centric, right? Like everything probably in his life revolves around football. And I'm thinking woodworking. It's meticulous. You know, he, he can do it alone in a woodshed with fancy tools. He can, you know, be as, as precise as he wants to be. I'm thinking woodworking. Some people said maybe wine collecting. I don't know. What do you think? What do you think he would do in his off time? I don't know. I, I, again, I, I don't know what he does. You know I, what we, do, we I, need to do? We need to have him on the show and get to the bottom of that. I know he was sharp dressed and very distinctive in his voice and in his uh, words that he relayed to us. Perfect pocket square, not a wrinkle in the suit. You know, I, I refer to him sometimes as the werewolf of Jones. That I really want is Taylor. He is just always well put together. He's a great representation for the program. Plugs for the most parting shots. Jeremy, what do you have as we wrap up Sunbelt Conference Media Days? Last night, I watched the new um, uh, Thor movie, Thor Love and Thunder. Have you seen this movie yet? No. All right. So if you love colorful spectacle, you're going to like Troy. Love and Thunder. If you like plot, if you like uh, like a character development, you may not like Troy Love and Thunder. Personally, my expectations reading the reviews beforehand were pretty low, and they exceeded those expectations. So I was able to come away enjoying the movie, but I can see why it was not credited as one of the better Marvel movies. My parting shot, of course, as I traveled through Louisiana, I had to stop and, and buy some of the good old Cajun meats. Pork oh, Cajun meats. For food in, you can't go wrong with. What What was that you can't go wrong with? Pork tenderloin, stuff with okay. food Oh, okay. What are you going to do with that? Uh, I already did. I baked it and ate <laughs> it, and it was fantastic. Yeah. And I think very much the meat markets that are in Scott, Louisiana, that I would love to be sponsors of our show. So oh, that I can tell the world exactly where they are and what they do. So they you know, know what, they, are. they just got to reach out. Yeah, you know what? They could we could repeat that name. How many times per episode? Three, four times. We might even have video of me eating. Yeah, we could maybe even print up a T-shirt with their logo alongside ours. Yeah, it would be yeah. great. Or the they official... just, or they just keep sending me uh, stuff, pork tenderloins, and booting and and. We don't even have to have payment. The official meat of Fun Belt Podcast. I love the way it sounds. <laughs>